0: Some parents homeschool. Others don't live near a school, and others simply can't afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive online lessons each week through their Google Classroom, and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Avi Plan and study Chumash Shemot and Avi Shmuel, or in the Mishnah and Gemara Plan, where we're learning Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Mitzio. If you'd like to give your child a leg up in his or her Jewish learning, now is a great time to join Kita, as our second semester begins on January second. To learn more about how Kitah can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org and fill out the form. That's Kitah k-i-t-a-h dot o-r-g Of RZ Weekly, a weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. This week, more about modern orthodoxy, probably, than religious Zionism, but we will see. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon fr- uh, fr- from Evan Shmuel. Harab Johnny, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: From Alone Shvut, we're here with Arab Eat Malibraski. Hello, Arab Ibraski, how are you? Good. How are you? Baruch Hashem. My name is Ruven Smolter. I live in Yabin Yamin, Israel. And uh, Molly, before we begin, I hear you've got an update for us. <laughs> a a Royals update is something new in the world of Royals. Uh, for our dear listeners, those who know Molly well know she's an avid Royals follower. So she's got an update for us. So take it away, Harabini Molly. What what do we need to know? Because I don't follow this
2: at okay, all. Well, I mean, the question, uh, let me just mention that you wanted a royals update and i think we should get to why the, why we're talking about this well come to the at the end if, okay after but the, the, royals the royals update up. is well, the first point of it is that if i ask you what's the royals update what would you tell me you and john well there's like
0: some crazy netflix thing right. okay. and okay. the crown i don't know that's all okay I
2: know. so we'll, we'll talk, so basically <laughs> the royal update is that Wait, johnny
0: did you watch any of this or you're just like uh, taking notes on the side about
1: something else I am not watching the Netflix series my wife has seen a little bit just out of curiosity but I'm
0: happy Wait, to Wait as, as about a Brit as an official our official British representative what is the British opinion or can you give us in one word the British opinion of the of the Netflix series in general
1: What I'd like to do is briefly quote to you two lines from rabbi Sachs, because he was british and he'd be proud for me to quote from okay him. and he says as follows wait what do we do it after screaming? or before or after you want to wait till molly's update I, I i think it's helpful and then molly <laughs> trust me molly will, I will I, take i'm not it gonna have room. a chance after she starts. okay right go for it so he says He says, blaming others for our failings is as old as humanity, but it is disastrous. It means that we define ourselves as victims. A culture of victimhood wins the compassion of others, but at too high a cost. It incubates feelings of resentment, humiliation, grievance, and grudge. It leads people to rage against the world instead of taking steps to mend it.
2: Beautiful. Okay, Molly, well, does is that, is that segue into Absolutely what you were going to say? Absolutely, does. Absolutely, it does. Um, yes. Johnny doesn't even watch. He doesn't even yes. know. Um, by the way, the, the, I would say the one word that my impression of how the Brits are feeling is basically horrified. That's probably the, the, the most accurate word. Okay, so basically, as Johnny has implied um, or insinuated, this Netflix documentary is... Um, I, I think Johnny, you had said this in a pre-conversation that we had that they are a case of vahatava vahakavod haolam and haolam. I think you. I
1: I didn't say that. That was somebody else. I think you're reading into my words, but that's what Brits do. We don't speak explicitly. Right. Neither, and that's the whole point about this whole Netflix thing. What are you doing, speaking
0: explicitly? Right. What are they doing
1: okay. but, but
2: but like... Okay. So my 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 point is, I think that's a very good way to describe it because, as Johnny said, there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of. Um, um, feeling like searching for glory and there's a lot of um, desire for money here I-, I would say what you need to know about this documentary is that it's not accurate <laughs> it is chock full of lies this
0: wait. i need to know about this documentary okay, is that what it's is not the docu- a documentary the
2: docu- it's not a documentary it's a <laughs> reality they are calling it a docu-series a lot of people are it, uh, calling it a reality show um it's their truth right and they're very into their truth as opposed to the truth except that their truth and is not actually true um, and there are multiple it's already been proven multiple times that there are that there are falsehoods, just like, in the, you know, you know, that in the Oprah interview, there are 17 demonstrable 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 lies. I think the most flagrant being that she said that they were married by the Archbishop of Canterbury three days before their wedding. And the Archbishop of Canterbury had to come out and say that would have actually been illegal for me. Um, so that never happened.
0: I love the fact that you know the number seventeen because that's right. what i, I be saying. There are probably this. more, you really but there's literally a list
2: this. of seventeen lies. Um, so here you've got the same thing, and I obviously Ruby wants me to not spend too much time on this, so I'll just give examples of things where, the, let's just say, as in the Queen's words, recollections may vary, and not just like other people's recollections, but Megan herself has told the same story sixteen different times, and the. They don't exactly jive. How did they meet? Um, she's told one story to Oprah. She's told, uh, Robbie, Johnny, Ruby, Ruby does not care. I'm just saying, in this, she basically, she's lying about how they met. She, uh, again, she's told stories in the past about how she, about how not knowing how to bow the queen, but then one time she said that Furky told her to bow the queen, and we also know that the queen hired her own, um, personal advisors to help her learn how to get comfortable with the royal family but in this documentary she actually makes a mockery of bowing to the queen um i'm sure some of you are familiar with what she said she said i didn't really know what i was doing so like we have like medieval times and tournaments and you know renaissance festivals so i did and she's just exaggerated bow where she like her foot her head almost touches her knees she's sitting down and if you look at harry he is so uncomfortable because she's mocking the queen by the way
1: what, by the way you what percentage of our listeners do you think what uh, a, more serious. than you, you say, think I'm sure many. more you. than
2: you think that's why I'm, I'm being a little okay, more specific if you're
0: listening and uh, please you know maybe we should Before I don't know how we, we do a poll but, this, but if you're listening I'm very, be I, I'm very yeah. curious to know X person wants watched. to talk
2: to you because she just watched a documentary with her daughter so I feel like a civic and public service to talk about this I'll be quick I'll really be quick <laughs> we know that there's first of all 30 seconds okay they claim that they claim that um, Megan was hounded by the paparazzi and that it was about race. Both those things are false. She was never hounded by the paparazzi. Um, yes, there was, and she was originally taken in with open arms by the British people. When they turned on her, it wasn't because of race. It was because she was, um, th- because of her own behaviors. Um, we know that there's misleading food, footage in the, ne- in the ne- Netflix Um, documentary of being hounded by the paparazzi. That's not her. Wait, I want to say two more things. Um, She claims she was, if you watch this movie, it looks like she was raised by her single mother, Doria. Completely untrue. She was raised by her father. Doria was actually absent from her life for most of her um, at least high school years. Uh, Her father's been airbrushed out of this. Um, her first husband, Trevor Engelson, is not even mentioned. If you watch the documentary, you would not know that she was married before. She implies that will, and, that will married Kate out of duty and not out of love, and that Will and Kate are cold. And the worst thing, and with this I will end, um, I just want to... It's be- funny how you
0: said there's two things. I just have to say two words. Uh, because it used, like, just it, it's, it's so
2: important. <laughs> the worst thing she says is the documentary implies that the Commonwealth is actually not for the good of the nations in the commonwealth but it is rather rather a very clever british racist way to continue enslaving and and uh, they call it empire 2.0 uh enslaving these these other countries and then they say the commonwealth was the queen's uh most cherished legacy and so they are throwing shade at the queen and basically accusing her of um what you know the way that the way they were denigrating the commonwealth now why does all this matter time
0: time stop Yes, that's what i was gonna wait you you almost like led me into the next thing molly who cares this isn't the first time we talked about this obviously and i sort of wanted to share your passion Mm. with the listeners and as as all of listeners who are listening know that if you asked molly you called her up and said molly talk to me about the royal family she would go on for quite a while now i think of you as a Really, and I really do, and like, you know, I'll say, think of you as a really sensitive, thoughtful, Torah-driven, halacha-based personality. I really think of you in that way. And yet, for some reason, you're infatuated with this Nashke. Mm-hmm. So, c- please explain explain to me why this is relevant. Why, why, why do you care about? This? I mean, you could say it's my yeh to her. I would totally accept yeah. that because we all have that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't sound like it's that no, to you. It's it not. sounds like it's, it's something it's else. It's much more than that.
2: Um, it, okay. okay. So, I mean, there's obviously a piece where I find it interesting and fascinating, and you know, some some of it is just fun to to watch, and you know, it has that element to it. But but deeply and fundamentally there's this phrase politics is downstream of culture right like if you change the culture you will change the political reality right so if you get everybody to believe i don't know in communism eventually you will end up the communist country let's just say right so the same way culture is downstream of culture meaning i think it's really important to observe cultural trends even pop cultural trends because i think they're going to tell us a lot about where society is going and the dangerous directions in which society is going um, and so the same way i the positive side of the royal family that i care about that we've talked about before is that i think that they represent um tradition and the story of britain and the queen elizabeth ii embodied um values like duty and loyalty and service and essentially transformed the, the british monarchy into a monarchy of service i believe that we that we we should watch the story of harry and Meghan. Um, and their attempt to bring down the royal family, and the fact that this really does fascinate and and um, and captivate the world, right, in a way that, that for example, let me ask you a question. Um, have you heard of the Earthshot Prize? The
0: Earthshot Prize? No. Mm-hmm.
2: Johnny, have you heard of the Earthshot Prize? I,
1: I think I... No, okay. I, I don't know of what it is. I think okay. maybe you tell me word, what it is. Maybe I Okay, so this is the,
2: this so, is the yeah. saddest thing. Okay, do you know when this documentary dropped or the trailers dropped? Do, you, do you, either of you know that that the it was like Monday or something? Yeah. Right? Where where what, do you know any Were the princess and Prince of Wales perhaps overseas at all in this past? Oh, week? that's right. That was. Oh the yeah, States. that's right. Boston, William right. spent a year.
1: That's where right. They were.
2: Organizing a trip yes. to Boston. They called it his Super Bowl. Okay, because he was giving this prize called the Earthshot Prize, where he gave a million dollars to five different um, entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial enterprises that are saving the climate. right? And it's called the Earthshot, based after JFK's moonshot speech. Okay, the point is, the reason Harry and Meghan dropped it here was to overshadow William and Kate. And it worked. Neither one of you even, like, barely registered that they were in America. You wouldn't have heard it
0: anyway. you Maybe not,
2: but what I'm saying is they grab the attention. And so what are we talking about? We're talking about... Um, um, this reality couple and Ruby. Here I agree with you, right? When you when you say you you criticize the royal family and they're Kardashians and they're opening shopping centers and all your criticisms, I agree with you in substance. I just don't agree with with you in specifics, right? I think that Meghan and Harry are all that, and I hate them. Or I hate what they're doing, I shouldn't say I hate them, we don't hate people. I hate what they're doing. <laughs> we lost Ruby now. Because exactly the reason you do, because it pulls society into voyeuristic observation. It's literally Kardashians on the big screen. Also, I think that they are a you. My point. Wait, wait, I have a
0: question for you. There's People magazine and us weekly and all and and I don't entertainment tonight and whatever the you know, I don't know, there's a whole channel that I'm not aware of that, like, uh, why do you, like, this is just Lashon Hara. It's just, okay, Lashon Hara's been around it, okay, for, so again, for generations. So it, why is this special Lashon Hara about these,
2: this family
0: interesting to you okay. and culturally so again, relevant?
2: I think it's culturally relevant because I think we're observing, um, again, narcissism, jealousy, and resentment. And and um, chasing a fame and
0: money. Meaning, said
2: it exactly. The point is, though, we should. We. I think it's important to watch it, to watch how it happens, to watch how it how it um, takes over the world, so that we can guard against it. Because we all can be that, and therefore we should be watching it and learning how not to be that. And I do think also that there's an element here of. Um, there's like a battle for what's going to win because again the royal they're really trying to bring down the monarchy, and the monarchy I think is trying to stand for um, service loyalty. They're trying to change the, the the things about the 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 monarchy that are problematic. They're trying to change. They're trying to you know like fight against racism and they're trying to fight against you know uh, um, kind of transform themselves for the better. And instead income of inequality, that they're focus, really against
0: that, too. They're against hoarding uh, resources yep. in order well, to make yourself into billionaire.
2: Yeah, right. Okay, whatever. That's a different conversation that we can have about, you know, <laughs> it's a larger... <laughs> anyway, okay, but my, fine. My point is, I think that there is what to learn, and I think that this does move into a conversation about modern orthodoxy because I agree with you. If you're just going to watch this and it's just voyeuristic people magazine, don't do it. I don't believe in doing that. But if, like me... You've, you're able to glean social messages and insights and enrich your perspective about how you want to live in the world and deepen your, your theology and your philosophy, then I think there's a lot to be learned.
0: Okay. that that that. Thank you. First of all, thank you for that. Uh, I know you wanted to speak about it. And well, it was you wanted me to, to speak you. about
2: it and I was like, woohoo, opportunity.
0: <laughs> I wanted you to speak about it. Okay. But thank you very much anyway. And, and I do value that. I just, like, I think that whatever we watch, whatever we see, we have to always have our, our religious sort of you know, glasses on and try to understand what's going on in society and how, how does that, um, how does that uh, um, interact with Jewish values and Jewish ideas. And that actually, I mean, it really does sort of segue into the topic that we wanted to talk about today, which is the, the I would say, the series of attacks that has, that have been leveled against modern orthodoxy by what I would consider, except for today, from Ben Shapiro in the Jewish press, which is really interesting. Except because he's not right wing. I mean, how shall I say this? He's right wing. He's crazy. not Haredi. He's not Haredi. He's very right wing. That's
2: like but the quote of the day. He, does, he doesn't. Ruby he, he, says he considers ben Shapiro his, is not right wing. Sorry.
0: No, he can say, what I mean, you know, the firm <laughs> right wing. He, consider, he considers himself modern orthodox, but he le- issues a, like very strong. Um, very strong accusations again against modern orthodoxy and modern orthodox institutions, but in general the other attacks, a few articles about you know in the Jewish press previously by a guy named uh, Abi Cement, and before that obviously an article by Rabbi Gordimer. But that all it, all of these attacks stem from this basic this basic question of. What are the values of modern orthodoxy? And in order to really analyze it, this goes back to, and we're not going to talk about personalities and individuals, but it began with the public choice of, uh, of a, I would call him, semi-professional basketball player who was in YU last year. And he, he got a, he was, he was drafted by a G League team in Detroit. He's a very, very popular, him on the Detroit kids. You just know, the relig- even the religious kids. Um, and he announced that, yes, he would play on Shabbat, but he would not drive to the stadium. He would, you know, stay at the closest place he could walk from, go to the game, you know, play if he was put in uh, with his yarmulke on Shabbat, but he wouldn't be mechalel Shabbat. He would drive, he wouldn't drive to and from. And the team arranged, you know, food for him and all of the things surrounding Shabbat, except for, obviously, is it okay to play professional basketball on Shabbat? And then afterwards came out a, a, a shear from Rav Herschel Schechter who spoke, who spoke about, not again, he did not attack uh, the player personally, but he spoke about the idea that it's very problematic to play professional basketball on Shabbat. He felt, Rav Schechter said, that he felt this is against halacha. And so along came... And a, it is a chilel Hashem. He, he, was, he, he was, was like, it's not a
2: kiddush Hashem, that. because I think a lot of people were viewing it that way. Yeah.
0: Oh. So, and so along came... a. a a series of, and I think a torrent of criticism against modern orthodoxy in general about like, how could it be that an institution or a movement could produce, um, could produce people who are, are so selective about the choices that they make. And I'm, I'm going to turn to Johnny in a second, but Johnny, I want to take you back to, I don't know, from, what I understand, from my understanding of American Jewish history, in the, I would say the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, where American orthodoxy was predominantly or it was American Jewry was predominantly Orthodox, and many, many people went to shul on Shabbat morning and then went to work. But there was an understanding in a sense that it's not a lechachila kind of thing. I, I know that I shouldn't go to work. I know I have to go to work. I have to support my family. There's a choice I make. Other people don't make that choice. On the one hand, they were not um, ejected or coerced to leave the community. But on the other hand, they themselves understood that they were doing something that wasn't orthodox. Like, think about it, like when I grew up, I didn't grow up with this, but there was a concept of a shul that closed its parking lot. You know, like the, it, the parking lot was closed. Why? Because the members all drove to shul, but they parked, you know, around the corner. That shul, it's interesting, without, that closes its parking lot it is almost um, an anachronism today. They're very, very rare. For one of two reasons. One, either the parking lot is open and people drive to shul, even though it's an Orthodox shul, or there is no need because nobody drives to shul. And so what I kind of want to ask you is, Johnny, like what is it, does it say anything that this person, that, that this player, Ryan Terrell, we everybody knows who he is, uh, wants to be Orthodox and identify as Orthodox and where is his yarmulke and doesn't think that there's a contradiction between playing basketball on Shabbat and is that indicative of something larger or not? nothing at all? What do you think? I think that clearly this
1: is, that again, we don't want to be overly personal, but nevertheless, his story has become the springboard for a wider conversation, so it seems appropriate to mention it, but it's also important to make it clear uh, and, and a very sincere disclaimer, we're not in his shoes and we're evaluating general choices of people such as he in simulations, similar situations such as he. Uh, and, and let's try and then uh, generalize things. Uh, what you have here is somebody who is skilled, who is capable, who has a dream. The issue is that dream includes playing a game that he loves on Shabbat because to be truly successful in that game requires playing whenever the game arises, including Shabbat matches. And the question really is, how does that uh, synchronize with orthodoxy, with Jewish law, with what it means to be a proud, committed Jew according to the traditions of orthodoxy? You mentioned about uh, car parks. I think that's, that's a slightly different point. So let's just now uh, consider his particular situation or say the more general situation.
0: No, I'll come back to it. I, there was a reason why I was, I, I think I described it, but I'll come back to it later.
1: Okay so uh, let's now think about other situations there are businessmen and businesswomen who sometimes are uh, have commitments at work or away and there is a business meeting that happens on Shabbat now if i was them i would recuse myself from that meeting no matter the cost in fact i was recently listening to a tribe uh, to a podcast called our tribe podcast with a fascinating interview with a very, very senior uh, fixer of companies called Marshall Hubner. Uh, and he explained how many Jews in his company are called Three Stars Jews. They, they're away for Shabbat. The moment three stars come out, they make themselves available. But whatever the case, from the time Shabbat comes in, the time Shabbat is uh, out, they're unavailable and they work incredibly hard for the other six days of the week. So if it's me, I'd recuse myself no matter the cost. However, no, I'll, get, are, I'll give you another Jews. example.
0: Let's say you're representing your company to trade show, and the trade show is over Shabbat, and all you have to do is stand okay. there and talk to people. You don't have to right. write so anything. So some people
1: would say. So some people would say, whatever the case, the answer is no, and I have to say that's what I believe, and that's what I think should be the right response. However, there have been many Jews, right, tens of thousands of Orthodox identifying Jews. Who have stood at that trade show and live stayed nearby who have attended a meeting and not written things down who have been involved in things and and they've done that and again i i don't live in that world so it's not for me to necessarily judge it Although i would i'm being very clear that's not what i would do but what they didn't say is this is the right way of doing things what they'd say is this is a choice i've made given the world that i live in they don't claim to be an ambassador for orthodoxy when doing so they would accept that they've made some kind of compromise either to keep their job or to succeed in their profession and i would say okay i mean I, if that's the world you're working in uh that may well be the choices you need to make uh, it's a question necessarily whether that's a world that you should be working in. what's different for this and other similar situations is this particular player is seeming to claim that those compromises aren't compromises. As long as one can basically uh, not drive there, and as long as one can stay nearby, then one can synchronize one's orthodox identity with playing here in this case in the NBA. And that this is ultimately a great way to celebrate being Jewish, uh, as he says, I'm going to quote from this gentleman, Ryan Terrell, being the first All-Stars during the NBA would mean the world to me, and a dream, dream come true, God willing, but just as importantly, it would mean the world to others that never saw this as a possibility. He sees himself as being a trailblazer. So I say there's a difference between people who make compromise and say, I'm compromising, but I'm doing this for whatever, my parnasa or for my progression, and people who say, I'm holding a placard and saying, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for others, and you should be proud. And this is where Rabbi Shechter comes along and saying, hold on a second, I don't think I am. And it raises a question really of where the line is, and I'll just say one final thing and then perhaps throw it back to you. You know, we we use the word halacha a lot, but chazal also use the word halicha or halichot. There's halachot and halichot. There are the laws and the ways of doing things. Th- and, and there'll be people who claim, listen, this kid or, or other people in similar situations aren't breaking halachot. I'd say that may be the case, but I would strongly I actually don't think that's the case. Whether that's, I don't think
0: that's the case at all, uh, but okay.
1: I, I, you know, again, I, I, I can give you a particular story of a student where uh, I, I made it very clear that I don't think it's a case. But but for, for the sake of this point, again, I'm, I'm saying for theoretical uh, argumentation here, naniach, that we say no obvious halachot have been uh you know um uh, trodden over but there is a missing thing called halichot and those halichot are essential they're essential for uh, a jewish home they're essential for jewish life and to overlook that is to overlook something fundamental so uh, to summarize there are i i believe a jew should say i'm sorry i can't i know jews haven't but where it's different now is a claim is being made this is the right thing to do and I'm doing this for me and for other people and I'd say that shows a misunderstanding basically of the importance of halichot and halachot as well as of course I'd I'd probably also make the argument that it is not by any which means uh, uh, um, clear that one can necessarily leap over any particular or all particular halachic issues at hand Okay, I want to talk about the halachic
0: issues for one second and then we'll go to Mali basically segregating into what you, the way you phrase it, because I think the way you phrase it is really beautiful. I, I, understand, like, I understand Rav Shechter, of course. I mean, Rav Shechter is the Rosh Hashiva, and I, I, I actually completely agree. I think there's a misperception about what Hilchot Shabbat are permitted and what's not permitted. I think basketball in many communities is widespread on Shabbat afternoon, You know, and, and it's something that's considered acceptable and fine and playing ball and for, for all kinds of other reasons. The, the question though becomes, okay, you're not allowed to work on Shabbat. What's the difference between Ryan Terrell and the waiter at the hotel that you just went to who worked like a dog all Shabbat long? Well, because he's carrying a tray and not playing a basketball? And because he's wearing a yarmulke and not wearing a yarmulke? Meaning we overlook, and I don't think the answer is so clear, we overlook a lot of what I would call, consider Chilul Shabbat or Chilul the spirit of Shabbat. Except that I just want to go to that hotel. <laughs> you know, I want somebody to serve me dinner. As opposed to Mm -hmm. you know making a stand and saying no Shemirah shabbat is important to me i'm not sure what the answer is and why it's fair for us to criticize one jew who's working on shabbat with physical exertion you know throwing a ball around where i'm I'm not going to be critical of many thousands of religious jews who are working much harder throughout the entire shabbat making much less money because it's convenient for us. I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, if you have an answer for me, send me a message if you guys want to respond. Listen, let, let's
1: be clear, you are community rabbi, I at times go Oh, to I places. work like a dog, rabbis work like crazy. As does Mali as well, right? So, uh, th- this sugia is an important one, and I'm, and I'm actually pleased you raise it. And as you say, there are some satisfactory answers and many
0: unsatisfactory. Uh, I was just, firstly, I mean, I was a scholar in residence at a shoal and was compensated for my time, and much of that was giving Dreschot or speaking. So it's a really interesting question. And so I uh, like... Well, we speak... We, right. How we generally phrase it, you're
1: compensated for the preparatory time and you could make the same argument, you're compensated here as a, as a player by... by practice the time, for the right? Game. Uh, so the I
0: performed issue, in front for of The me, issue you, here is... Yeah, I, obviously, right, there are differences, the, obviously.
1: Ma, ma, the, the, right, the critique here is, uh, it isn't, are you running uh, up and down with a ball and are you going to be paid for it? I mean, that's an important question, but that's not the critique. Uh, and, and to and to distill it to that, I think, is to lose sight of the wider question. By the way, for, I, I'm more than happy to ask that similar question to other situations as well, to the people who work in hotels. Uh, and ha- uh, how is that tolerable and what are our safeguards? Ultima- ultimately, though, I think, while we don't like invoking a slippery slope, I think we do know that most of those professions uh, aren't primarily limited to Shabbat. uh, And most of those people um, are generally actually uh, guided by those to try and minimize uh, Shabbat desecration. I'm not entirely sure what's happening here. And again, I don't want to be focusing on this particular individual. But the general essence is, if one has an opportunity, okay, let's just briefly phrase it from a slightly more Jewish philosophical perspective. Uh, you know, we speak well, about... I, you, let's just QF. take the basketball
0: for a second, Johnny. Remember, if he wouldn't agree to play on Shabbat, they wouldn't give him the job. It's all or nothing. I mean, he's not good enough. That. He's not He's not LeBron James. LeBron James says, I don't work on Shabbat, they'd work it out. He's not that. So it, literally, really, he'd have to give up his dream. And I'm not saying it's okay, but understand that. I, I, I get that. And, and, and
1: what I would simply say, and we've mentioned it before, and Mali's a greater even expert than I on this, you know, one one of the most important contributions in crystallizing, what it means to be an observant Jew, and most certainly a modern Orthodox Jew, is expressed by Rav Soloveitchik in his essay, Catharsis. This idea of gvura, the fact that he'd have to give up things for his uh, religious loyalties, uh, is what Jews do. Uh, It's what I did when I went to college. I I didn't go to Jewish college. On Fridays in the winter, I had to give things up in order to observe Shabbat. My brother studied in Cambridge. He had to give things up because you know he had shabbat meaning this is what jews have been doing and and where they haven't by the way they've not claimed to necessarily be the ambassador of orthodoxy they've just made a private decision and perhaps justified it in their own heart or mind this is different so i'm well aware that he's going to have to give up things if that would be his choice my argument is sometimes jews give up things because we have a hierarchy of values and the question is if the hierarchy is out of sync, it can lead to, I'd say, uh, improper or at least
0: outcomes that don't sit well with me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to take something that Johnny just said and turn it over to Mali to ask her about it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Shalom, this is Rav
1: Johnny Solomon and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a sheila, a halachic query, or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, If you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, RabbiJohnnySolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar, and within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you.
0: Okay, we're back, Molly. Johnny said two things. He just spoke about um, a, a mis—I so, um, would say a misaligned hierarchy of values. That's what he spoke about, and he spoke about the the notion of halachot versus halichot, and uh, and I think he's onto something definitely that we we break things down into you know categories and principles and ideas and specifically prohibited things, but somehow we've lost the, the, the sense of halichot, of, of seeing it as a worldview. And I think that's an educational question. That's really an educational question. So um, I'll ch- ask you to put on your... don't. Well, you can take off your hat. You can close the screen. Take off your psychotherapy hat or your English hat and put on your mechanechet hat. You know, you've been doing this for many, many years as a, as a, as a teacher of modern Orthodox students. And I will ask you, is that a fair criticism of modern Orthodox education broadly? That we teach halachot and somehow... We're not able to properly communicate halichot, or is it something else?
2: So I, I want to, before I answer that very good question, I just want to say that I, I want to put this whole conversation in, in a little bit of a different context, which is or maybe similar to what Johnny said. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who lives in America, and I asked her what she thought about it. And she, her children do not play basketball on Shabbat, like not even in, this, in the backyard or maybe in the backyard but not in the park or whatever it is but she said of." when
0: she says they don't just want to clarify she doesn't let
2: them no she she, they don't they are comfortable not right which goes interesting i mean there's a reason right and by the way uh they're not in modern orthodox schools they're in modern orthodox slash Yeshivish schools they're not in. okay that's That's a big deal right okay um and and the parents made that decision, right? They had an abundance of schools to choose from and they went a little bit to the right. That just
0: segues right into the other question yeah. I asked you, but okay, okay. go ahead.
2: Um, so, but when she was describing it, she she definitely said, when I saw it through her eyes as an American Jew, the story she told was kind of, it, it was a story that I hadn't thought about and, and, and it was kind of moving. She's like, this is every kid's dream is to be able to play in the NBA. And the fact that he's doing it and the fact that he's doing it with a kippah on his head um, is exciting for the kids. Like, from his perspective, and here, Ruby, I I go to something you were saying in the beginning, which is like, it's not my place to, like, I have a lot of empathy for that. I have a lot of empathy for the person who, who feels like, I am sacrificing, right? Like I, I when I'm doing this with my kippah on my head, I am sacrificing and I am proud of my Judaism. I'm just doing it maybe a little differently than you would do it. And and I think we do have to have that empathy and see the see the perspective that different people are coming at this from different angles and and they have different um it, it's pushing different buttons for different people, right? So but then when I spoke to my friend, I said, "Okay, but so so she said like her kids are like they think it's really cool. Like they're not coming at it from a critical perspective. Okay, but would, would, would they do it? Oh, no, they wouldn't do it. Why not? Because they don't play ball on Shabbat. Um,
0: well, how does so, she feel about having her kids have role models okay. who are from, so, who they right. think are really cool? I, I actually agree with you. Like my, I, I came from Detroit, and it wasn't just the non-Orthodox kids that are excited about Ryan Terrell. Detroit is a very yeshivish town. Mm-hmm. And even the yeshivish kids are, like, they're excited about a frum guy, a guy with a kippah playing in this semi-professional league. So
2: here we maybe come down to the first um, pedagogical point, which is I think every person needs to be able to be clear for themselves about what modern orthodoxy means to them, where the lines are, where the sacrifice comes in, Um, and I think that is a challenge that we're faced with. I agree with you very much about the halichot and the halachot, the the way that I always... The phrase I always use use with my students comes from Rabbi Carmi in his article about Club Med, where he says, rather than halacha being a laundry list of do's and don'ts, um, understand that halacha is carrying principles and ideals, right? So, like, um, that's why I find the conversation, and I think John was kind of alluding to it, to answer, this is what my friend said to me, oh, well, rabbis also get paid on Shabbat, so it's the same, and I'm like... It's so not the same, right? Like, like take away the like technicality and the laundry list of it. It's so not the same. Now, the truth is, you threw a wrench in there by saying, "Well, what about those from waiters and waitresses who are somewhere in the middle there, right?" Because, like with the rabbis, you're like, "Okay, come on, they're like, uh, we understand that what they're doing is in the spirit of Shabbat, and we have to figure out how to compensate them for, for it, which is not the same as playing ball in the, uh, you know, on a televised sporting event." Okay, so I think therefore that. The spirit peace and the understanding that halacha, it's not even that it's halachot and halichot. The way I see it is we have to educate towards an understanding that the halachot are an expression of the halichot. And that Mm -hmm. even when we don't always understand that and also when there are chukim. But the big picture, the big picture halacha is meant to be a guide for how we live a ethical, moral life in service of God. That is what halacha is, and if we're not explaining that properly, and if we're not teaching halacha properly, including the piece of, you know, the the as Johnny calls it, the catharsis. The, the catharsis might even be sometimes. I don't understand why, or I don't understand how, or this is complicated. But if we don't have that uh, grounding in understanding what halacha is, and we turn it into a laundry list, we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose on all fronts. Like we're not gonna have a clear vision of our own. Like again, let me say. Opposite way, right? We're going to lose because um, halacha is just going to be dead, um, you know, performative behavior that has no richness or meaning to me. And we're going to lose because religion is not, I I I won't have articulated for myself a clear vision of what my religious principles and values are. And because I haven't thought about how halacha expresses those values. Does that make sense?
0: It it does, mm. but h- how do you teach? Like it's not an easy thing no, to teach to teach a worldview and to teach it as right. a like, you, like even your de- definition that you just said to, uh, halacha is about how did you say? It? I don't want to quote. You, I don't quote you exactly, but yeah. leading an ethical moral life in service of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's even even that def- that definition uh, ethical moral by whose definition right. by God's These definition compli- okay. by your definition. So, uh, How's that connected to Shabbat? And, like that's, yeah. and then how do you even teach it or, you know, uh, how do you teach such a thing in a way that sees it
2: not as a series of rules and mm-hmm. practices, but instead as a as a way of life? Okay, so can I just say one more thing and then I'll turn it over to Johnny? Yeah, yeah. Which is just anecdotally, literally just had this conversation with my students on Wednesday because we're finishing up Lonely Man of Faith and this is the roughs point at the end. And, you know, I'm like hammering it into them and they're agreeing with me. And, but then they'll say things like one of my students said to me, so basically, never mind, I, don't, I can't, I'm not gonna be to quote her properly, so forget that student. But basically, she was like, oh, we always hear this, like, be, you know, like, um, it's about the, 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 the spirituality and not just the legality. How is this any different than we hear, we hear that all the time? I'm like, okay, because we're learning it in high resolution, we're learning it in a sophisticated way, and you're challenging me, and I'm, I'm allowing you to ask See, me But that's not questions. what you're saying.
0: It's not about the spirituality. It's not. That's what I said. I said, you are
2: making it into a very sisma kind of a thing. But what I'm saying is, I'm basically saying it's really hard to teach, right? And then my other student said to me, yeah, everything we're learning here, the rubs of you, like she went to a... Um, Modern Orthodox, not not New York, but still a Modern Orthodox high school. She's like, this is all they ever tell us all the time, all the time, all the time. Like, nothing in here is new. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you, if you think that, then you're not really hearing me. Because exactly what you're saying, Ruby, right? It's at the level of some type of an abstraction, but to have really gotten it and to have really internalized and, and to be able to make it their own and, and make their own very, very conscious choices in their lives, like... That's a much deeper level. How do we do that? Not easy.
0: So it's interesting because I know you had a couple of conversations on Facebook about this and um, the Rav came up a number of times and, and I, I think you, and me I don't know if you did, but a number of people mentioned that the Rav would often comment yes. about how with his students, he was very very easy to teach them the depth of a Tosvot and the Hakira and the Rambam and the whatever, but somehow he was not able to teach them the passion and the depth and the... And, so is it... So then we'd have to ask ourselves, if, they t- if the teachers are talking about it all the time, which I believe they are, they're wonderful teachers, they care very much about this issue, but they're failing, is there, so- is there something in the system from the bottom that's really okay, So I really want to add one last point that. Johnny wants to answer. Okay, but Johnny remind me about that talk.
2: point, because I, I think yeah. it's a not fair accusation against either the Rav or modern orthodoxy, so I want to just give a thought. But go ahead, Johnny. Yeah,
0: go ahead. I was thinking about this also, the Rav, but I yeah. mean, whatever. Okay, so
1: I want to come back to something that Miley said, which was absolutely brilliant and I think really becomes a defining factor of perhaps our upbringings and really this question, both in respect to this particular player and the wider question in general. You said when you were speaking to your friend on the phone, uh, all the kids want to be able to play in the NBA. And I would say I agree. They should want to be able to. But the difference between your friend is she didn't say all the kids... Uh, want to play or, or will be playing meaning it's the rat son that you could be able to do that you want to be good enough that you could not necessarily that you are doing that and i think that's a key point and i grew up in different communities where we would point to somebody i'm just thinking there's a there's a rabbi in the uk called johnny who's he's a really good soccer player and here's the deal he could be good enough to play in the english league he played in smaller leagues before meaning He's good enough that he could be playing on a Saturday for a really good team. And it's precisely the fact that he isn't. We say, whoa, he's good enough and he still doesn't because of Shabbos. Whoa, that's amazing. We think of, for example, actors like Stephen Hill, who, you know, became a square chassid, right? Who acted in law order for all those years and many other movies, right? So here's a really successful actor who we know uh, was sought after. And at a certain point in time, he says, I don't, I don't act on Shabbos. And we know that he could have done, but he said no. And we applaud them more, meaning the heroes within the Jewish community aren't the ones who are doing it, it's the ones who could be doing it, who are prepared to pay the price for Shabbos. That makes them our heroes. Johnny, I'm not it's sure they be- are our
0: heroes. They should be our heroes, but I'm not sure they are. That's I, I, the point. I, I, so so my, my,
1: <laughs> my belief is... My belief is that they are that subliminally. Many of us have grown up meeting people who've always hit that wall. And many of them have said, I know I could go further, but I'd lose a part of myself. And I'm choosing not to. And we say, wow, that's a Jew who's wrestled with their loyalty to Judaism, who has got a gift, who's got a capability, but has made a choice. And we should, I hope we do, because I certainly do, applaud that person and say, that's Mesiris Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh, by the way, literally doesn't mean giving up your life. That's Mesiris kuf. Mesiris Nefesh means giving up up a part of yourself, in many ways, for the sake of a, a greater reason. I'll just mention one further story. This is a real story of a student of mine who was given the opportunity a few years ago to give a TED Talk, but on Shabbat very similar to the kind of situation we've been describing. And the question was, could they find a way around, not breaking Shabbat to give the TED talk on Shabbat to do this? This would surely be a very, very a great opportunity. And, and I'm, I wasn't wearing their shoes. They asked my opinion. And I basically referred to a story of Revaria Levina and said, listen, Shabbos is Shabbos. And, and remarkably, uh, and I say this with great, great uh, respect towards this young person, they made the choice not to give this talk because Shabbos was more important. I think that's incredible gvura uh, that Soloveitchik speaks about in Catharsis. I think it's that muscle that we need to strengthen in our communities. It's tested the whole time. Sometimes some of us make alternative choices, which, again, I, we are not done, uh, any individual. But we shouldn't presume that that choice is making them an ambassador for uh, religious practice. I don't think it is. I think the ambassador is a Stephen Hills. It's a Johnny Hughes. It's that young student who say, I could, but I choose not to because Shabbos is Shabbos.
0: Molly, I want to go back to you. You said you wanted to just talk about the the Rav and modern orthodoxy. Yeah, no, just and,
2: w- and... a little bit of like kind of, um. I don't, I don't know what, I want to use the words chus, but like, I'm, I'm, let's say um, modern orthodoxy. Let's, let's put it that sense. way. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a failure of the fundamental belief system of modern orthodoxy. I think that it's a failure of the, um, basically what Johnny is describing, right? And what I was describing can only thrive in what we called many moons ago on one of our earlier podcasts, very early, like a, like a thick cultural experience. Right. When when like religiosity when you live and breathe religiosity, when you when when kite is like just part of your being. And that's maybe goes back a little bit to why my friend shows a more yeshivish environment, because they have that thickness in a way. And so like and when the rub would talk about how like he couldn't give his heart, he could only give his mind. It would be he would say essentially because America is thin as opposed to Europe being thick. In terms of this cultural understanding. So, can I interrupt for one yeah. second?
0: I've been thinking about this a lot. And, like, we have to also remember the Rav was the Rosh Yeshiva in YU, but he didn't live in the Yeshiva. He lived in Boston every week. He flew in on Monday and he flew out on Thursday. And he gave unbelievable Shiurim and he was available for the students and what have you. But think about a Yeshiva where the Rosh Yeshiva is never around on Shabbos. You know, I went to YU and I'll tell you, it wasn't your class. I don't know. I hope it's better now. And I, I hope they improved it. But the, the experience, the yeshiva experience, what I had in Israel and what I had in YU, they were just totally different. And, and I, I, you know, maybe the Rav, like you said, maybe the Rav wasn't able to communicate his feeling that he had when he was growing up because his students weren't getting him the thick. Okay, so they I'm, were not, I'm not 100% sure lecture. because he
2: was too busy doing that in Boston, building a Boston community. Okay, And, but I, was and the I'll reality. say something else, which is that Ronnie Ziegler has argued, he said, why did the Rav always tell stories of his life, right? He, that wasn't his natural personal inclination. He said the only reason he would do that would be because he was trying, that was a, a pedagogical, active tool that he was trying to give over that thickness or whatever word you want to call it no it was it was, a, it was
0: really a different time it so was yeah and also and the, the other thing i always tell my students very different is like
2: anything we have today like if you go to those thriving communities of modern orthodoxy in america you know we have this like luxury of taking them but you said before like when 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 orthodoxy was the central religious you know i don't know what you said like Norm. I was like, when was orthodoxy the norm? It was never the norm. It was going to die. It was the minority. It was, or, you know, or whatever. How? No, you, no.
0: Nineteen thirties, forties, even fifties. But the 50s, point was the assumption was dying. Uh, it was
2: dying, right? So, like, if if we look at what we have now, the all of the wonderful things about the modern Orthodox, the vibrant modern Orthodox communities that we have in America now, are thanks to the the Rav, and like Ashrenu that we're struggling with these questions. You know what I'm saying? Like Ashrenu that that like we have. I'm not kidding. Like that there are so many um, strong modern Orthodox communities that the students themselves, at least my students, are, are questioning this and they're critiquing their their, their, their their the communities they come from and they would like things to be stronger and they're grappling with these questions. It's not the entire community that's doing that. But the fact that we have an, like a critical mass um, of modern Orthodox Jews so that we can so these conversations are part of the atmosphere, we've come a long way
0: okay uh johnny do you want to add something because i sort of want to turn and ask one final question before we move on something you wanted to add you could say no or we have to, I have another question N- no but i i
1: think what I mean we're offering some thoughts here but ultimately a lot of our listeners say they they live this in work and it, it i'd love to hear their thoughts mm. not specifically about this ball player but for example it's a winter month now you know people leaving early on Eroshabas. that's that's tough it's a choice for some people uh and the kind of things you're prepared to give up in order to maintain your observance at work in different settings these are important questions which we should all be discussing because all of us and experience. we're in
0: israel where the uh, there is an understanding of your shomer shabbat it's a right it's an obviously yeah. understood the pressure is much less it's much it's much more it's for a different different
2: yeah sociological thing going on here completely different experience.
0: okay so i i want to sort of turn to the and this is why i started with those with the with, with what i we spoke about those shuls I want to turn to the attacks on modern orthodoxy from outside. You know, the, the, the ones in, in, uh, in the Jewish press, which is sort of an interesting pseudo-modern slash yeshivish uh, publication, but the attacks are really coming from the right. Um, and obviously, Avram Bortimer is going to attack from the right. You know, he, he has his readership. Um, and I think to myself, interestingly, you know, we, we cannot divorce this phenomenon of the growth of modern orthodoxy from the, the total collapse of liberal Judaism in America. Meaning if you are conservative or even reform and you were looking for some kind of meaningful Judaism, there are many, many people who have moved to the modern orthodox community because they're not necessarily chozvin Bechuva they're strongly Jewish, they're comfortable in a siddur, but they don't consider themselves 100% orthodox. They certainly don't find themselves comfortable in the right-wing yeshivish world. So they find themselves embraced in a modern Orthodox school as well they should be. And their children are in a modern Orthodox school, as well they should be, which is a wonderful thing. And yet here we have, we seem to have uh, th- this attack on modern Orthodoxy, which is, a, a, I think, a very large tent, which encompasses a lot of different sub-communities and sub-genres of people. And, and this attack has the potential to force, uh, I would say, Orthodox shuls, to make a choice, and force them, are you for halacha? Are you with Rav Shechter? Are you for halichot? Are you essentially yeshivish without the uniform? Or, or are you not? And I find this to be a, a very, very dangerous thing, like a very disconcer- disconcerting thing. And that's where I came from, you know, the, 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 the orthodoxy that used to be, and I would say even, Johnny, the, the model of orthodoxy in most of the world, especially in Britain, where they really don't care how you got to shul. And uh, America was always very good at kicking people out. But do we really want to see, you know, the modern Orthodox say, okay, we're not going to be open Orthodox. We're not going to be traditional. We don't don't really need to wear the mantle of Orthodoxy and to feel good about our Judaism. Is that going to be a good thing? Or would that be just another slippery slope, you know, kicking people out? And we know where that's going to lead. Molly, what do you
2: think? I think that's a great question. I just want to say one thing. I don't. I. 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 You know, you said we're like they're essentially yeshivish without the clothing. I don't think that's fair. I would say let's say they're basically dati lumi torani, right? Like because it's you know I, I don't like when we assume that if somebody's more serious about their religion, than they're more you know Haredi. You can be serious about your religion and be very committed to modern Orthodoxy. But what I want to say about what your point is is that it's an excellent question, and I think that the answer lies back with what I said before, which is that we have to do our best in our individual lives and in our own chinuch of, of, of our families, of our students, whatever it is, what the communities that we want to be in, to be clear about what we believe and maximize our religious um, strengths and beliefs, while at the same time, Making space for other people, I think that that's really important, right? But that takes a lot of clarity. It takes a lot of awareness. Um, but you know, and I, I, I mentioned this, I think, before that somebody said this about Israel, which is a totally different conversation. But they said in Israel, there's much more of a retzef much more of a range of halachic observance. It's like a big, big, big tent of what it means to be. Religious here, and a friend of mine said, "Well, it's good because it keeps people in the tent." But she worries about it because she she's worried about her children's friends who, like, quote unquote, in America, they would never be friends with kids who weren't shomer Shabbat or who smoke on Shabbat. Because, but in in the in the larger tent here, everybody's friends with everybody. So, like, there there, there are those two sides of holding a big spectrum, um and so I think our challenge is like, how do we? Hold our own values and still have a tent big enough. And I think part of it goes back to Johnny's point about clarity. Yeah,
0: it's interesting when you said that; it made me think of Chabad. Like
2: yeah, When you walk Chabad, into a Chabad house amazing. anywhere
0: in the world, they have their rules, that's right. they have their principles, and everyone is that's welcome. That's right,
2: and, but and Chabad, Chabad doesn't we, somehow pretend like um, what other people are doing is good, but they also love them and they don't make anybody feel uh, less than. I mean, uh, in the and big somehow
0: picture. we in modern Orthodoxy have not found yeah. that have not found that. I would say that backbone to say, we represent halakha, we represent halichot, but it's the same, but everyone's welcome, even if you don't walk these halichot.
1: One, one second, I, I just want, I mean, so you know, and I've, I've, I've both on this podcast and elsewhere, I have been very coherent in terms of my concerns about the spiritual state of modern orthodoxy in different communities, both overseas and here. Um, I've raised questions about sometimes the kind of choices within religious Zionist communities here, meaning I'm self-critical, uh, uh, and uh, and I do so recognizing that that pushes me to ask deep questions about myself and the kind of communities and ideas I share. What you just though said, I think you're right in part, but not entirely right, uh, in full. There are numerous locations and personalities and institutions who do just that. I'm an advocate uh, for certain contributions of Chabad. I'm a stronger advocate for the ultimate synthesis that modern orthodoxy can bring and does bring. I just think that there are certain places where the balance is wrong and our job is to raise our voice and say uh, we've lost sight of this and we need to strengthen this. and and that's what we should be doing in communities. And there are numerous successful communities who, who do achieve that balance. And Baruch Hashem for And we, as three people, wouldn't probably be sitting here now had we not encountered at least some of them in part of our journey, right? With all, we've had slightly different journeys, but still, the very fact we're sitting here, proud modern Orthodox religious Zionist Jews who have deep connections to the diaspora, who now live in Israel, who spend time learning to raise strong, committed families who are passionate. Uh, I think it's because we've rubbed uh, different communities along our journey. We've also been inspired by that ideology and met people who truly represent it. We've mentioned them in this podcast many times. My point that I've said in previous talks is it's not the modern orthodoxy doesn't have some uh great solutions to modernity we do it's just we seem to sometimes look at those solutions uh very very shallowly when really they demand a little bit more um subtle thought uh, they're complex answers to a complex world uh, and if we do well to reflect on that we could really help ourselves and help future generations so I, i'm a i'm very very happy to celebrate the successes of other communities and we're all one people let's not forget that for a second but still I don't think modern orthodoxy has lost this. I think there are certain parts of modern orthodoxy that have and certain parts that haven't. We need to teach best practice, just as we would do so in organizations where some parts of the organization seems to be doing better in
0: terms of uh, aligning their values to the user experience. Okay, I I think we'll let Johnny have the last word, as we often like to do. I want to thank Molly and uh, Johnny for indulging me in this discussion, which I think is very important. I want to thank Molly for her Royals update. Uh, We'll have another Royals update for you in 2026. (laughs) And and, uh, I want to thank my son for our music. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're not, give us a review on the iTunes store so other people can find us and share the RZ love with all your friends and family. We'll see you next week, everybody.